Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, this is Nancy, and um, I'm here today with Peter Wall from Tulik Financial, and we're talking about financial planning for loved ones who are aging with disabilities. And by that, I mean um, a developmental disability or some other type of disability. Um, very often, um, you know, these days, we uh, there's been a culture shift in the last 30, 40 years where disabled young people have been living more in the community outside of institutions and very often with their parents. And as boomers age, we're seeing they and their adult children with disabilities aging together. So we're seeing dual disabled households, if you will, um, often these adults, um, you know, 50, 100 years ago, their life expectancies were relatively short. Their life today, um, like the rest of the aging population, their life expectancies have expanded. Um, and, um, and so we're seeing a lot of new challenges. However, with um, those young people, young adults, uh, middle-aged adults, older adults living more in the community, there's been um, an expansion of support services to support them in the community. In fact, the current generation of younger disabled adults, adults with developmental disabilities such as Down syndrome, autism, etc., they um, they are living more and more often independently in the community, um, many with um, some form of work and income. And so um, financial planning and management becomes a little more um, challenging sometimes. And also there are more new vehicles and tools that are available to you as um, a person that um, is concerned or caring for that person. And so I asked Pete Wall to join me today to talk about one of those vehicles or perhaps some of those vehicles. We've discussed um, in the past the Special Needs Trust, a couple different ways we've discussed it, and um, many of you may know about it. But there's a newer rule in the last few years um, that has come about called the ABLE Act. And that act allows for young people to do some savings, allows for gaps in the special needs trust arena to be addressed. And also, if there isn't a special needs trust, I believe you can set up um, an ABLE account. But there's rules and um, on who can do it and how much and et cetera. But Thankfully, Pete is here to discuss all of that and just discuss what he's seeing out in the community in terms of, um, you know, our young people in the disabled community. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. I'm uh, I'm honored to be to to be here and, and 
have a voice um, a little bit for, for planning for people with disabilities. Um, and I've known you for a long time, um, a little bit of my background. Um, I've spent the last 20 years uh, doing financial planning, um, in, including leading and um, developing large national trust groups, all focused around elder law and, and special needs trust. And now I'm with um, TrueLink Financial, um, you know, where I can really sort of dig in and do some great planning um, opportunities and, 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 and have some of those opportunities for people with disabilities. Um, teach a lot about um, ABLE accounts um, all over the country, and um, they're, they're really starting to take off. Uh, the, the law was passed, uh, the ABLE Act was passed in, in December of 2014, codified in uh, 2015. And really, um, I remember when this bill started, and um, it really had this great, uh, you know, push through Congress. It was very robust and was really meant to help a lot of people with disabilities. And then, as most things do when they go through Congress, um, it, it kind of got narrower and narrower in the scope of the people that it could help. There's a little bit of background. As, as we know, people receiving, uh, people with disabilities receiving SSI or Supplemental Security Income uh, have to have less than $2,000 um, to their name at the end of every calendar month um, to be able to qualify for this really much needed, um, you know, supplemental uh, support. The ABLE Act um, was, was meant to encourage um, and assist not only individuals but families in providing savings funds that would not be part of this what they call accountable resource or this $2,000 mm. limit. And uh, it was really a uh, a neat act. Um, it it modifies. So a lot of us are familiar with the five twenty nine college savings program, right? Yes. Um, yes. It it modifies that IRC or Internal Revenue Code section, um, and now it's so it's five twenty nine A to allow a savings vehicle for people receiving um, SSI to not only save money but also really become a utility um, and sort of. And, and I'm not going to mince words, Nancy, but it's circumventing some of the really onerous requirements of uh, special needs trustees. Okay. Um, for, yeah, it's, it, it's really neat. So um, it's um, the, one of the things that we have to remember when you're administering a special needs trust is that Social Security, right, who runs the SSI program, says, hey, you can... Um, and so, you know, as we're setting these up, let me set the stage a little bit more. As we're setting these up for family members, um, you're always sort of wondering who could who can help, who can take over next. You know, when you're when you're no longer there, um, spe- special needs trusts are not allowed to pay for food and shelter items. It's called in kind support and maintenance. Yeah, um, right. yeah and uh, and that becomes really hard because those are two of the most basic needs that we have as humans, right? And, and, and Social Security says, you know, it's okay. Well, you, you can have a special needs trust, or I actually prefer the term supplemental needs because it's supposed to supplement everything that the government provides in those SSI funds. And they say, you know, um, you can have this special needs, supplemental needs trust, and it won't count against your public benefits qualification as long as you don't spend it on food and shelter. Well, the ABLE Act, now ABLE accounts, are you can pay for what's called qualified disability expenses or QDEs out of ABLE accounts. And that includes food and shelter. So it truly <laughs> is an end around for special needs trusts to pay. And, and, and they know this. And this is in Social Security. It's a little silly, right? But yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can pay for food and shelter out of an ABLE account. 
um, as well as, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic vehicle for circumventing some of those and getting some of the basic needs that our uh, people with disabilities, um, you know, so desperately need it and still qualify for full SSI and Medicaid. Um, but also it's, it's really an empowerment act. Um, it allows people with disabilities to save funds, like you said, when they're working, as opposed to having, I call it forced impoverishment, right? Having to spend down to $2,000 every month to their name so that they can continue to qualify for SSI. And you know me, Nancy, I'm a huge um, advocate for people with disabilities, yes. especially mm-hmm. when it comes to um, empowerment. And this act in particular just really provides them a lot of um, opportunities to, to, you know, have autonomy, which I just think is absolutely fabulous. Right. It encourages um, other activities, uh, work activities, for example, um, where a young person can get paid, even if it's, you know, with um, uh, a disability group and a modest amount, but they can still put it in a savings and, and, um, and develop funds over time. Or as you say, parents can gift to that fund, um, on an annual basis and, and, uh, and all of that. Um, and that's and, a, I mean, that's a great point right there, actually, the, the gifting, right? So, mm-hmm. Typically, mm-hmm. right, a gift to a person with a disability on SSI would count against their SSI if it's reported, <laughs> right, uh, right, as in-kind support and maintenance. But a, a gift can be made to the ABLE account um, for spending money, basically, or savings. Right. right, and it empowers the individual to use their own savings for those purposes or those funds are available. Yes, because SSI, what is it typically these days, 800 yeah, $794. $794. And so, um, right, even if you had a special needs trust, the expectation was if you, if you were living independently, you had, you have to pay for that and, and food, um, housing and food with that amount. It's, it's a stretch. There's um, not many places you can get rent for $794 a month in America anymore. Right. 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 So, yeah. Well, and, and what I'm noticing is, um, as, um, you know, there are some young people who have always lived with their parents. And um, as their parents age, um, the responsibility often shifts to a sibling. Um, but that young person may or may not have ever lived on their own. And so there's lots of challenges that that come up for folks and having ways um, to, or even if your loved one lived in some kind of group setting, having ways to assist with managing finances because families are so dispersed around the country, you have to do things remotely and um, it becomes more challenging. And so um, companies like yours um, evolve to assist with some of that financial day-to-day management. Um, I know that, yeah. So, and, and you know, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, the able program is fantastic. Um, it really mm-hmm. is, but it comes with catches, as though all things of public benefits, right? And so, as we talk about, you know, funding from from parents, from then siblings, you know, managing those affairs for mm-hmm. their brother or sister with, uh, with a disability. The ABLE account is a fantastic resource, but you have to qualify first. 
And of course, it came up with some um, with some very you know limiting factors. So let's talk about those for a second. Um, the, one of the neat things about ABLE is that all the income within it earned is non-taxable. So just like a 529 plan, right? However, um, similar to a 529 plan where there are limits as to how much a person can donate or excuse me, gift is a better word, right? To the 529 plan. There's mm-hmm. a limit to how much you can put in an ABLE account. That's $15,000 per year just mm-hmm. as it is in a 529, which is tied to the uh, estate tax exemption, right? But it can be made by any person, which includes a trust under the IRC definitions. However, that 15000 is per beneficiary, not per donor. So you're talking about only $15,000 a year that can go into this for any beneficiary. And it's not like you can go out and open different ABLE accounts in different states. Um, it, it, they, they count in aggregate. So very small amount that can be funded there. So that's a that that's a limiting issue. Um, also, um, there is limited eligibility uh, tied to uh, age. So you have to be disabled. There's two um, two um, eligibility requirements. One, you must be disabled. Uh, you must meet the disability requirements for SSI or have a doctor's certificate, and you have to be able to prove that you were disabled before the age of 26. Mm. Wow, right? Yeah. That sure is yes. limiting. Yes, it is. Um, so that's that's a problem. Um, there is ongoing advocacy uh, to extend this to age forty-six. This is done through a couple of different um, organizations. And uh, as your listeners, you know, listen to this. I really like the Able National Resource uh, Center, which is um, ablenrc.org. And ongoing advocacy through age forty-six is also being done through the national. Um, Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, um, or NALA. Yes. So hopefully we can get that bumped up and jumped up a little bit to, so we can help more people. Right, because um, if you, it, right, it depends on how you want to define disabled. Um, very often, if your child or loved one is developmentally disabled, that may have uh, presented itself more than likely before age of 26. However, there's a lot of other people who fall under the SSI definition of disabled. You're correct. And often those disabilities do not present themselves until after the age of 26. I That's agree. Right. My, yeah. my, good, mm-hmm. my good friend, Judy Human, um, who if, if you're unfamiliar with her, you know, Google her. She's an amazing disability rights activist. It's just uh, Crip Camp is available on Netflix, and she has a new book out. Um, but she calls um, people without a disability non-disabled because, um, and, and she's in, the, you know, in a wheelchair. She had polio, um, you know, in, early on. Um, but our chances, the, the point is, I'm sorry, the point is we have a greater chance of becoming disabled as we continue to age, right, yes. Th- yes. Than, than, than the opposite. So very, yes. very, very interesting. Well, and I'm thinking about, I have a number of uh, people I work with who have mental health, because of mental health issues, have become completely disabled and not able to to work or um, earn a living. And so, and very often um, when I meet them, they've not ever um, applied for SSI, you know, because of their disability. They're not able to do it and no one has done it for them. And so... 
Yeah, there's, there's a stigma a... attached to it too, right? Parents are hesitant to have their their child on, potentially on this on the spectrum identified as disabled by a doctor, and then all of a sudden they're up against this age twenty six limitation. And correct. Yeah, you know, well, what do we do? Actually, it's uh, until they change the number. That's an important number to um, sort of put out there to parents of young people. Um, you know, many. Uh, apply for guardianship when their child turns 18, but I don't hear, they they often think, well, why would I apply for SSI for him or her? They're still living with me and, and will be living with me for some time until the kid gets older enough and starts complaining. <laughs> hey, why am I still living here? <laughs> you know, I want more independence. And so, uh, yeah. Yes. Well, um, we have a lot more to talk about, and we've got our first break coming up in a moment. I um, I will say, and I apologize for not saying prior to this, um, Pete is the Director of Fiduciary Services at TrueLink Financial, and um, as he mentioned, he's had a long career in this area of um Elder services, disability services, uh, special needs trust. He's a he's a nationally known expert, uh, recognized expert in these areas, and presents quite a bit um, around the country. And so, I appreciate you being here, and I look forward to having more conversation with you. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Nancy. We're back with uh, Peter Wall from TrueLink Financial, and we want to step more into the arena of financial planning for um, adults living with some form of disability. 
And um, I appreciate, Peter, you um, shedding some light on that for me and for my listeners. You bet. So, you know, in the last segment there, we covered a little bit about some of the utility of ABLE accounts. And, and I think before we move on, I'd like to mention just how great this is. This this program is where you can put money and not affect someone's needs-based public benefits, a person with a disability, just to provide them basic freedoms like making their own purchases without having to have trustee involvement. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. Um, however, I do want to note that it's not a panacea. Right. We talked about some of the, the limitations uh, that are there with, with age and disability um, requirements and things like that. But I also want to mention that any money that's put into an ABLE account in most states is subject to Medicaid estate recovery. So what do I mean by that? When a person who's received Medicaid on SSI you know, passes away, Medicaid has a first shot at recovering everything um, in their estate up to the amount that Medicaid has paid for their care um, over their lifetime or since a settlement, um, you know, it, it varies. And I'm speaking in generalities here before we get flooded with a bunch of emails from elder law attorneys all over the country. Um, so why then would a, would, a, would a family member contribute to an ABLE account um, when any of those monies, let's imagine you put the first, the, all the 15000 in there, and then the beneficiary dies on the, the ABLE account holder dies on the next day, all of that 15000 is potentially recoverable by Medicaid. So there is a better vehicle for that, and it's called a third-party special needs trust. Third party, meaning that's where the money came from, right? Not the beneficiaries, not the person, the disabilities money, but it's third party money. And those funds are not recoverable as long as it's set up right. So I do highly suggest that you, you know, yes. get with a good elder law attorney to draft mm-hmm. these are not subject to recovery from a, um, from Medicaid. So I remember when this bill passed, right? And just like when, when the estate tax went away for one year, um, which the Steinbrenner family did very well, if you'll recall, that uh, he passed away during that year where there was no estate tax. Congress couldn't get anything done. But anyway, um, <laughs> I remember, you know, special needs players, oh, no, this ABLE account is going to put us out of business and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just not. It's really not a replacement for a special needs trust. Rather, it's a supplement. Um, for a special needs trust, if that makes sense. Well, yes, and it covers um, things that the special needs trust doesn't cover, which is a big consideration. And it also has a maximum, correct? Very astute. Yes, Yes. it does. I was going to cover that. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. once you have over $100,000 in this um, ABLE account, and and, and quite frankly, um, the trend's, here um, nationally are that uh, it's usually money in, money out, right? So you're putting the money in and it's, it's meant for the beneficiary to spend it. So gosh darn it, go out there and spend it. But mm-hmm. um, we are seeing, you know, incremental I- increases in, um, in, in savings rates. So the typical, um, the last numbers I saw, the, the typical ABLE account has about $7,000 um, in it. But once it's above $100,000, um, the person, the ABLE account holder, is then disqualified from SSI until they spend it back down um, under $100,000. So uh, sort of use it or lose it sort of deal. Mm, and that would be administratively total pain in the neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you'd be putting, I mean, understandably, if the beneficiary is using it as, or the ABLE account holder is using it as a savings vehicle, 
then amazing, right? I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't see it building up to $100,000. But from a prudent planning choice, you know, why would it be at $100,000 with third-party contributions when all of that is recoverable? Um, yes. There's also a top limit. And that top limit is tied to the 529 plan limit in whatever state um, the ABLE account plan is opened in. And I, I should mention that you can, op- you can live, for example, in New Mexico, but you could open a, a, an ABLE account in Ohio. So it's not state-specific. Uh, okay. And that, that's important to note because, you know, as you're looking at ABLE plans, uh, some of them are more built for investments and savings, and some are built for more distribution needs. And so you can pick that out. But the top limit is linked to that 529. So let's take California, for example. I do that because they're cute and they set their limit at 529,000 because it's tied to 529 plan. So if you think about that, the 529,000 and you divide it by $15,000 a year, that would take over 34 years, if my math is correct in my head, um, before that top limit was reached. Hopefully I'll be long retired by then and there won't be any advocacy needed. Um, but there is that, that top limit as well. Uh, okay. Can you say that again? You, I, I got lost. Sure. Uh, I so mean, the, in, o, in Ohio, it's actually a higher limit. Um, or in California. Uh, I use California. Ohio is, is really interesting. I'll talk about them in a second. But mm-hmm. California is the, the top level limit is 529000 So to get oh. to that amount, yeah. $15,000 sure. a year, it takes 30 Long time. Yeah. So, so the limit, the max is state specific. It is. Oh, um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very interesting. Um, Ohio, the Ohio program is, is really interesting. They're called stable and they run, I think 13, I should know this, but I think it's 12 or 13 states. Uh, so they run the different states programs for a diff- for an additional 12 or 13 states. Um, they were sort of the leader in this and, and have built the infrastructure nice. for yeah. other states to take mm-hmm. advantage of it. And I appreciate you mentioning them. Um, we didn't talk about this. This might be a surprise to you, but TrueLink has actually been named the program administrator for the stable program. Um, we'll take over in June of, of wow. this year. So very exciting. Wow. That is exciting, particularly I bet there would be an easier linkage with the um, TrueLink card. That's right. So we should talk about that before we finish today. But, yes, that's exciting. Okay. It really is. So, Mm -hmm. again, you know, covering some of the advantages, you know, the beneficiary empowerment um, is is key uh, for for ABLE accounts. Um, I remember, so let's let's rewind, um, I don't know, 10 years ago before there were things such as TrueLink cards and before there were things such Mm -hmm. as ABLE accounts. Yes. And I was managing a very large, you know, a very large amount, uh, number of uh, special needs trusts. And, you know, you couldn't, you can't give beneficiaries cash out of a special needs trust. So when a beneficiary, they call me up and they say, hey, Pete, I want to buy a TV. Great. Here's what you have to do, beneficiary. Go to Best Buy, get the price, put it in an electronic cart, right? Get the taxes, get everything, then get somebody from Best Buy to call me with all of this, tell them you have a trust, tell them that you don't have access to your own money and that I have to approve everything so we don't negatively. It, my point is it's onerous, it's confusing, and quite yes. frankly, it was demeaning to people with disabilities. 
Yes. And, mm-hmm. and so now being able to transfer this money, for example, to an ABLE account or a TrueLink card and having them being able to purchase, make their own purchases is the right thing to do. Amazing. Yes. No, I, I think um, even today with regular trusts, um, um, although I have many trust partners out there and friends, but um, there, there can be um, those kind of onerous limitations to purchases. Um, yeah, although I think most of the trust companies have discovered the TrueLink card. I know many, many, many are using it. Um, so that yeah. probably helps them as well. Um, but think about, yeah, the family member who's trying to maneuver this and very often family members um, aren't willing to take on some of these trust responsibilities because they're afraid of doing the wrong thing and they're afraid of, you know, disqualifying their loved one from a benefit. And so um, this does offer some opportunity for um, family members um, to um, perhaps even work with an organization like yours. Um, you work with outside trustees, I believe. And so they could work with a group like yours uh, on the administration side and, and get that assistance. Um, we should mention, mention the Special Needs Alliance since we're talking about special needs trusts and the fact that people can go to that website and download their guide and, and get some direction yeah, very good point. I sometimes mm-hmm. I forget that they have published that um, uh, yes. how, to, how to be a special needs trust um, trustee guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, special needs alliance is amazing. I yeah. do a lot of work with a lot of their attorneys. Um, speak yeah. at a lot of their events, and can't recommend that organization enough. If you're looking to do some planning, find the special needs alliance attorney or the NALA attorney in your area. You wouldn't yes. take your Ferrari to, um, you know, the local mechanic to get the oil changed, right? So why play fast and loose with a special needs trust for a loved one with, with disabilities? Correct. Yes. Well, and I've been, you know, the calls I've been getting are from um, siblings, um, you know, younger, middle-aged, I would say middle-aged, hate the term, um, Adults who have, you know, their parents are aging into their late 80s. They they have their disabled son or daughter at home with them. Um, COVID's been particularly hard on those families uh, because their child's activities have all been, you know, paused and um, and they're just at home languishing. Many of them, but. Um, and so I'm getting calls from, you know, mom's children saying, you know, we want to do some planning for both. And um, what's difficult, you know, the first thing I say is you've got to get mom to talk to an elder law attorney and get in. You, you all need to educate yourself on these planning tools and and get mom's head around um setting up her estate plan so that things are done correctly. Because if child, you know, um, son at home inherits that those funds and then later they set up a special needs trust, as you mentioned earlier, it becomes a first party rather than a third party. And it's, um, there's a, I don't know if you call it a clawback, but you know, Medicaid will come and take the money. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, not only does the legal planning come into place, and none of us like to face our own mortality, but do it, right? <laughs> Get that power of attorney signed so you don't have to have uh, conservatorship or guardianship for us. Mm-hmm. Upon you. Another good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. Um, but also think about the financial planning. Um, and so, you know, that's, um, you know, it's very different, uh, especially when you're dealing um, with people with disabilities. You know, a, a traditional wealth advisor is all about all in wealth accumulation. Right? Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Yeah. I mean, like, how much do I need to save for retirement? And then, you know, and how much more can I, you know, can you put with this advi- advisor? But when you're doing disability planning and when you're doing, um, you know, investment management, which is, you know, what, what my uh, group focuses at, at, at TrueLink, it's very different. And it's knowing the taxes, which is are very different, right? Trust tax structures are very different, and and you know eliminating inefficiencies within the portfolio because you're acting in a wealth decumulation mode, where this is the amount of money that this person with a disability or this aging person has to last them for the rest of their life, and that's a very different calculation and a very different approach than your traditional wealth advisors, um, and and knowing, like you said, what the um, what the public benefits will pay for, right? What will Medicaid pay for? I mean, most people, I think, are under the impression that Medicare is going to take care of them in a long-term care facility. Guess what? They're not. Not going to happen. Right. 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 And um, I mean, another trend I'm seeing is, um, you know, our... I hate to keep saying our disabled adults. Give me another term. Um, But people with disabilities um, are living longer, um, so they're aging. They have different kinds of challenges. Um, They may develop some dementias um, earlier in life than um, the non-disabled community. And so I'm seeing a trend toward finding assisted living for what I consider young people, you know, people in their 50s or 60 years old and um, needing more help than what can be provided. And, um, you know, I think there's going to need to be a shift in housing, but it's also um, some of those young people may not qualify um, income-wise. They may have a parent's um, pension. Um, they may have, you know, Social Security from a parent, disability. They may have, uh, I've met uh, one family recently, the son was receiving an income from the VA. Um, his father had been 100%, um, you know, service-connected to the military. And so um, you're right. Uh, de- what do you call it? Decumulation? That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you've got this amount of money in a special needs trust and the planning looks very different. Um, or it looks like someone maybe 20 or 30 years older where we are, we are spending uh, above income That's for right. care. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, as you know, in this country, the, the cost of care continues to skyrocket, although there's no real inflation, right? You take your pick as to, as to which one is, 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 is really the case. Um, and, and, you know, so providing for that care, um, you know, becomes a crucial part of, of, of wealth 
you know, uh, management planning and, and it needs to start early, right? Long-term care planning, um, and things of that nature. You, you, you mentioned something, um, there, Nancy, that, that was really interesting to me, um, that, that we've talked about, um, in the past, but, you know, the need for uh, a shift in the housing, the long-term care housing and long-term care structure, and, you know, uh, housing for seniors or, or for people with disabilities is fascinating. And you're absolutely right. Some sort of change needs to happen. Um, I'm not sure what that looks like, but yeah, yeah. If I have my 55 year old son that you know, um, who's been home and participating in Special Olympics and you know going to different activities in the community, um, to suddenly put him, um, well, I don't want to pick on any organization, but in a home where. You know, they're very young people and they are, you know, severely disabled um, is not what parents are sometimes looking for. And so they're turning to assisted living and that has its own different take. And so there is sometimes my feeling when I'm looking and working with these families is um, we have a challenge to find the right fit for housing. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and you're, you're, I mean, you, you touched on something really neat there and that it's not just the, the, the monetary cost, um, but it's, it's the, um, it's, it's the, the mental overhead in finding. Right. Finding the right fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, so what other planning? So, so um, setting up, a trust, I mean, you can set up a special needs trust for anyone. I, I mean, I assume there's eligibility requirements there as well, but essentially anyone before a certain age, right? That, that's right. Get it done before age 65. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's ongoing, um, you know, advocacy to have that, um, you know, date extended um, as well. And, you know, we can talk about that on the other side. Okay. All right. Well, we have our um, next break coming up, and I do want to make note that TrueLink Financial is also a um, sponsor of this show, and um, it's been I've been doing this show several months now, and we finally got to get you on here talking about a subject that you know a lot about, but also um, I want to, before we end the show, say a little bit more about TrueLink, if you don't mind. Do you? Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Thanks. All right. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, 
offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Nancy. Welcome back. And we were talking about financial planning uh, for um, folks with uh, a disability. And Pete was stressing the fact that the sooner the better to get started. Um, I was emphasizing uh, some of the elderly parents I am meeting who have not incorporated this into their estate plan. And um, that can be a, a serious um, financial mistake. If a person, uh, um, I think, I, I'm not an elder law attorney, so I'm gonna be careful here, but if you, uh, rather than leave funds directly to your disabled child, if you leave the funds uh, to go directly into a special needs trust, if that disabled child um, um, dies before all of those funds are spent, those funds can essentially go to other um, family members um, as beneficiaries rather than going back to the state to cover Medicaid-related expenses uh, of the past. So it's important to visit with an attorney who specializes in special needs trusts, and they typically call themselves elder law attorneys, and you can find them. Uh, there's typically a section in the state bar directory. You can call your state bar and ask for a list of elder law attorneys in your area to talk about this, and more than likely they will know maybe not as much as Peter Wall, but they will know about the ABLE account as well. So let's get back to our conversation with Mr. Wall. And, um, you know, when you were talking about um, there's advocacy happening um, to increase to increase ages, to change amounts, I was thinking to myself, who are these advocates? And I, I think of you as a, a disability advocate. Um, who's the formalized group and what's happening in that community? Yeah, sure. So we're blessed. Thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. It means a lot to me. Um, you know, something I think that we forget working in this community is that we need to, we, we have an absolute, um, you know, mandate to, to give back to the community. Um, and, and, and I've been blessed to do that, but sometimes we forget, um, as, as you know, we, we move across and we do special needs, uh, trust planning or disability trust planning or financial planning for people with disabilities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to include the person um, with a disability. And uh, it, it's easy to do. It, it really is. And so some of the organizations that are, you know, sort of advancing disability rights in, in this particular arena are, are NALA, which is the National Academy of Elder Law um, Attorneys, um, ABLE National Resource Center, um, and things like that are on the, are, are sort of on the um, 
the forefront. Um, but also there are amazing people that are out there that are doing this um, as well. And, and I'd like to brag on on, uh, on an amazing lady. I was just introduced to uh, Liz Weintraub. She's just absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, she works for, uh, she's a full-time uh, member of the AUCD or the Association of University Center's um, policy team. She's testified um, in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee um, and things like that. And, and, and Liz was, was born with cerebral palsy. And, and what Liz does is she reminds all of us and, uh, to um, put things into a, a, a lens and, and into language that is understandable for, for people with disabilities um, uh, and, and, and for civil rights um, of people with disabilities. And you know, I was talking with her um, last week. She and I are uh, doing a panel um, with Steve Dale, who's a fantastic advocate as well, um, and um, attorney in, in California, and then the aforementioned Judy Human. We're, we're talking next week at, at the UT Law Special Needs Trust Conference, and Liz reminded us um, that we need to have first-person language all the time, person-centered, right, first, uh, but also mm-hmm. that people with a disability absolutely deserve and need to be part of the planning process from the very beginning. And she tells the story in her own family um, where she, you know, was sort of excluded from a lot of those family talks, whether it be about money or, um, you know, social issues or things like that, because um, her, her family's doctor had said, you don't need to include Liz on this because she has cerebral palsy and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and what a load of BS, um, you know, in hindsight, uh, you know, that is. Um, and, and she is just in a, just such an amazing advocate um, for, for people with disabilities, um, you know, that her father had to see her talk in front of a group of people before understanding, oh, we should be including Liz in this, yeah. these conversations about her future, right? Um, yeah. It's just mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, you know, if there's anything that we can impart from this interview, it's the person with a disability that you're planning for, you know, if that's a child with a disability gosh darn it, get them involved, get them involved early and often and let them have a voice and say where they want to live, right? Well, how they want the money to be spent, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and one of the things, gosh, man, I can't, I'm getting choked up. It was so powerful. She said, let the person with a disability dream, dream early and often. And if we can, you know, emphasize that um, in, in our planning process, whether it's financial planning or legal planning for people with disabilities, then I think we're starting to do a much better job. Wow. Yes. I totally agree. And I think that um, too often, and maybe that's the ABLE account, you know, with the age 26 thing, you know, really was limited in thinking about, again, how we define disability. Uh, People with, um, you know, cerebral palsy, people who um, are blind or deaf or, uh, uh, well, people probably def- define themselves, whether they're disabled or non-disabled. But um, And it also makes me think about um, in New Mexico, and I don't know if other states, how, you know, if they have this, but we are lucky to have a legal group in New Mexico called Disability Rights New Mexico. And, and I remember one time the director saying to me, yeah, you know, all these kids, um, you know, the schools push that they all need guardians, 
when they're 18. Nobody really looks at whether or not they can understand or sign a power of attorney. So there's, there's a real push to get them, their parents to be their guardians. And he says, and by 25, they're in their office saying, how do I get out of this thing? Or how do I limit this thing? Or how do I convince my mother that I don't want to live here. I want to live there. I want to do this and not that. And so um, if, if uh, a person or a parent is a guardian for someone, they should look at the National Guardianship Association Standards of Practice and Code of Ethics because that those standards have been highly influenced by people in the disability community and person-centered um, is front and center with that organization. And so I would encourage people who are guardians to, to do that. Um, yeah, so that's very powerful. Um, I appreciate that. I think we're, oh my goodness, are we near the end of our show? We Aww. are. Pete, um, although my, or maybe that was, maybe that was the last break, sorry. So um, what else should we talk about? Um, so you're getting more uh, involved in advocacy uh, as part of a giving back. Uh, well, it's part of who you are. I mean, you know, it's, it's just what you've always done. But, um, but TrueLink is, is putting an emphasis on oh my goodness, giving back yeah. into the community. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I spent a lot of my career um, not at a mission-driven company. And to be at TrueLink, which is truly a mission-driven company, um, has just been absolutely just, just wonderful. It's, it's, it's like when you, it's, um, it's, it's when you zing, when you find, you know, that, that perfect match, it's, it's been incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the main tenants, so you're familiar with the TrueLink card, um, mm-hmm. Nancy, it's a prepaid, yeah, it's a prepaid debit card for those in the audience. Um, that allows, you know, certain restrictions on spending. So very, very helpful as we talked a little bit about in-kind support and maintenance. Um, you know, we're the, we are named in, in the Social Security um, POMS regulations um, as a vehicle for being able to distribute money to a person, you know, on means-tested public benefits and be able to restrict, you know, some of those purchases, but also really, really helpful for people in recovery. And it was quite frankly designed for um, people, you know, who were starting to, um, you know, have issues uh, cognitively. So a way to be able to provide, you know, grandma, grandpa, you know, a way to, you know, have a, a certain amount of autonomy by, pre, you know, loading this prepaid debit card, letting them go out to coffee with their army buddies, for example, uh, but not put their whole estate at jeopardy, right? Not uh, Right. Or send the caregiver to the grocery store, but not allow cash back. Um, at the grocery counter, and so all they can do is buy the groceries. And yes, what what I love about I'm you know I could I could do your commercials. What I love about the TrueLink card is is that it's not only online, but you have a dashboard, and as you said, you can look at um, you know you, you can turn on and off expenditures. Um, you know I I think of um, clients who have had alcohol problems and. You can literally say no alcohol spending, um, well, or alcohol um, liquor stores, really, um, unless you've changed that feature to narrow it, which we've asked for. But anyway, and um, and then also um, you can uh, be alerted in real time if there's improper use. Or you can check any time. Are there funds low? You can transfer funds easily. 
um, yeah, it's a pretty nifty, nifty tool. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, you know, that's how I came to know TrueLink before I um, was through the card. Uh, you know, All of us. I mm-hmm. employee, sure. Right. Um, yep. And now my division, um, I'm very proud of us. Uh, you know, we, we, we take a person-centered, holistic financial planning um, approach uh, where we, you know, eliminate inefficiencies. And, and, and like I said earlier, you know, sort of work in a wealth accumulation vehicle. But we have, you know, uh, my whole team is, is based on, on people who have been trust administrators who have worked in this community for so long so they can empathize with a family member trustee, for example, with a professional conservator or trustee, you know, um, like yourself. Um, and, and, you know, being an admission-driven company, you know, again, just amazing. Um, you know, we don't have any account minimum sizes because we believe that regardless of disability, regardless of net worth, everyone deserves the same financial planning that some of us really do take for granted. Um, and so being able to provide those services um, on that one-on-one and, and that, that really true, uh, you know, public benefits and special needs trust planning has just been um, amazing. Plus, you know, we offer, being a FinTech company, right, we also have a, a trust administration platform. So where, and that comes, you know, with our investment management services. And so when a family member, God, I mean, there's got so much going on, right? When you're managing a trust for a loved one um, with a disability, for example. So we take all that burden, that reporting burden, you know, the, the, the check issuance, all of that burden sort of off of the family member's shoulders. Nice. So that, nice. Right. They can focus on what's most important, which is the person with the disability. Very nice. I like that. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Truling Financial in the last couple of years since you've come on board has expanded its services and you do do investment advisory work in-house, um, but you'll also work with other advisors or you're keeping that in-house right now? Um, it makes it difficult for the platform to work yes. without okay. um, having, but, but absolutely. Oh, you're right. You know, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you, so for the family member who is the trustee, they can turn to you, not just for the true link card now, but they can, they can turn to you for the administration, um, That's right. which means bill paying bills and paying tax, you know, doing tax return, whatever. They, you will assist with we that. We can absolutely assist with, with a lot of that. Absolutely. Okay. So I can't say enough about TrueLink Financial. I can't say enough at all about Pete Wall. I, I've really enjoyed knowing you and uh, look forward to working with you more in the future. Um, we're coming near the end of the show. I will say that next week uh, I have Dr. Lynn Flint from University um, San Francisco. She's a geriatric uh, physician and professor. And we're going to be talking about um, the cycle of rehab, return home, hospital rehab, return home. And, um, and some of the, you know, she's going to be discussing some hard choices family can make. So I, I encourage people to join me next week. Uh, where we'll be talking about uh, talking with Dr. Lynn Flint and her article, Rehab to Death. If you have any thoughts on that, please email me at nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Check out my website, aginglifenetwork.com, and also um, my private fiduciary um, company website, decadesgroup.com. So take care of people. Thank you, and uh, have a great week. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.